Thank you, Bound. You were sounding good tonight. Really lovely worship. Thank you. So I just want to share a few thoughts tonight um, on really the, our gracious Father, the, um, God the Father. And um, this is nothing new to most of us, I would imagine. And we're going to have a little look at the story of the prodigal son again, which is a really well-known story, and you've heard it all before, probably. Now, I'm saying that because, actually, it's really good to listen with fresh ears again, and because uh, God always has something to say to us um, in these situations, doesn't he? So I have a, fi- a friend in um, London, and his... Uh, brother became a heroin addict. Um, this is a few years back now. And he ended up losing everything to his addiction. He lost his relationship, he lost his house, he lost his job. And in the end, he became lost. So my friend's family just didn't know where he was. They, they didn't hear from him for months. And one day, the stepfather, they had the police involved, they had all sorts of people trying to find him, they couldn't find him. They didn't actually know if he was alive or dead. So one day, um, my friend's stepfather decided to take matters into his own hand. He went out into the streets in London where they knew this guy had last been, and he spoke to um, homeless people, he spoke to drug dealers, he spoke to addicts, and eventually he tracked um, his stepson down to a kind of drug den, you know, like a squat, uh, in a really rough part of London, and... It was by the time that he he happened to get there, it was like 10 o'clock at night, and it wasn't safe. Um, It was a violent area, and it was pretty squalid. Uh, He had to break in because everything was boarded up, and he broke in, and he found his stepson barely alive, and he lifted him up, and he put him over his shoulder, and he carried him out of that place, and he is alive today. So... I tell you that story because it is an extreme story, really, of the father's love for a child. And I think it gives us a little glimpse into the father's heart for us, the lengths he would go to to um, be in relationship with us. As I said earlier, um, we're focusing on God the Father tonight. This is um, the first of three um, sessions like this, which we'll do over the year. And uh, I do want to talk about the, the Father heart of God and his grace to us. So in the Bible, we hear a lot about God the Father. God presents himself in the Bible as our Father. And Jesus actually talks about God the Father um, as his Father 150 times, which is huge, isn't it? And the language he uses is really informal and um, intimate in a way that had never been used before. Um, He teaches, he, he talks about Abba Father, which is an old Aramaic word, which really sort of means daddy. There's something about the compassion and trust and kindness of God in that um, name. And he invites us into that relationship too, doesn't he? He says, listen, I'm going to teach you how to pray. When you pray, say, our Father. Not my Father, but our Father. So we're invited into that relationship with him. Now, I don't know how you're feeling sitting here. Our relationships with our fathers can be really complex. Um, we're all familiar with the, the sort of concept of fatherhood. But this can get in the way at times with an image of God, I'd like to suggest, because we project our own expectations and experiences of what a good father should be, um, possibly, and also 
how our fathers have been with us. And that can be good and bad, let's be honest. You know, at its best, our fathers um, model something which is um, full of a relationship which is full of trust, which is safe, which is encouraging, um, all those sorts of things. And at worst, it might um, make us think of absence or neglect or abuse. So I think it's good at the outset to acknowledge our own experience of uh, fathers and to remain open, knowing that actually God um, is not a poor reflection of our fathers. They are a poor reflection of him, even when they're at their best, because he is the perfect father. He is all-powerful. He is kind. He's forgiving. And I think the love of God the Father is actually a really important issue for us today. The world, and dare I say it, the church, is in a bit of crisis, I want to say, because people don't really know what God thinks of them. And whilst we may not all need that sort of physical rescuing from a squalid drug den, you know, we all mess up, don't we? None of us are perfect. And I think in that, we forget that actually it's really normal not to have everything sorted. It's perfectly normal. It's okay not to have everything sorted. And yet, deep down, we can still feel unacceptable, unworthy, and unlovable before God. And I think, really, if we want to flourish in our lives, we need to really accept the grace of our Heavenly Father. And so many of us miss this point um, or can't really believe that it applies to us. I think this must really break God's heart because the Bible is full of stories of God showing us his grace, isn't it? His intentional, forgiving, rejoicing grace. And none more so really than the parables. Um, you know, the three, there's the three sort of traditional parables that go together, aren't there? The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And each of these stories really reinforce the same point, which is the pain of loss and the joy of rediscovery. And I think we can all relate to that. I remember when I was 15, my dad bought me um, a pair of really beautiful earrings. And he was... You know, he sort of he didn't do that sort of thing that often, and he said these are really precious. You've got to look after them. So of course, the first time I wore them, I went to a party and lost one, and I spent half the party sort of looking around, um, trying to find this flipping earring. And then one of my friends miraculously found it, and it had just wedged itself between some floorboards. And I was more happy at the moment I'd found it than the moment he'd given it to me. And that's what these parables sort of show, don't they? That rejoicing in something that was lost but has been found. So um, I thought it might be nice to hear the parables. So Debs, are you um, happy? Debs um, is going to just read us um, the parable of the lost son, the story of the lost son, just, to, just as a quick reminder. So, oh, you need a mic. Here we go. Now, are you happy to hold it? Go for it. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fat and calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but is found. Thanks, Deb, so much. <clears throat> so Jesus doesn't tell us these parables um, in order to sort of teach us how to live our lives, but actually to challenge our ideas about who God is and who God loves. God is like the distraught shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go looking for the one the one sheep that strayed. He's like the woman frantically searching for the one small lost coin. And in the, in the story we just heard read, the parable of the lost son, he's like the father who desperately loves his renegade son and spoils him rotten when he comes back. Now, in logical or rational terms, these parables make no sense, do they? I mean, how ridiculous to leave a flock of sheep um, unguarded on a hillside, open to wolves or someone stealing them, you know, what a waste of time to look for one small coin. How unfair that a father lavishes so much on a son who has treated him so badly. But these parables speak of God's gracious love and his unmerited favor as our Father in heaven. And that is really what grace means. It's the gift of God's unmerited favor. And I think it's worth pointing out that none of us deserve his grace. We can't earn it because God the Father is perfect and the Bible makes it clear that nothing we could ever do by our own efforts would make us good enough for God. In fact, however hard we try, we just wouldn't make the grade. In the book of Romans, Paul reminds us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. But grace says that God delights in us anyway. 
in his perfect love and generosity, he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to die for us, to take on our imperfections that we might be blameless before God. He bridged the gap. Jesus bridged the gap between us and God's glory. And as a result of this, there's only one way, there's only one thing we need to do to be acceptable to God, and that is to have faith in Jesus and accept the grace he offers us, the Father's grace. So how do we go about accepting the grace of God? I'm just, I've got three really short tips that I'd love to just um, put out there. So the first one is that from this story, it's obvious that God welcomes us as we are. So my first point really is to come as we are, warts and all. I don't know about you, but often we think we have to kind of be sorted before we get things done. You know, I've had a period um, recently of feeling quite distant from God, if I'm being honest. And um, then you sort of feel a bit guilty and you feel ashamed. And, but actually, I've been really struck by the fact that every time I come to God, I've come to him in that place, his arms are ever extended widely to me. And remember the younger son in the story. He is a mess. He's totally screwed up. But his father is waiting longingly for him to return and arranges lavish, lavish celebrations when he does. And there's the older son as well. Let's not forget him. He comes to God. He's not sort of repentant. He's bitter and jealous. And he's annoyed, you know, that he's not getting this party. And he comes to God just as he is. And the father lovingly reminds him, you know, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. So I think, you know, that God's grace is incredibly personal. Um, Psalm 139 says, um, God created our inmost being. He knit us together in his womb. And to God, each one of us um, is the lost sheep or the lost coin or the lost son. When we return to God, he feels like he has just found his most valuable possession. So my first point is just to come as we are. But if we are to accept God's grace, we also need to know that, fine, it's great to come as we are, but also that we are totally worthy as we are. So that's the second point. In God's eyes, we are worthy. I think it's worth saying, you know, behind what we might present, whether that's our, you know, clothes, makeup, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is, wherever we're presenting ourselves, actually, we can often live with a sense of unworthiness, and we can condemn ourselves with it. And I would suggest it would be really helpful if we work out where that's coming from on the one hand, and on the other hand, what does grace say about it? I think we can heap guilt and shame on, on ourselves for all sorts of reasons, whether that's a sense of failure at work or school, a relationship we've messed up, low self-esteem, poor self-image, stuff we carry from the past, all that sort of thing. And the younger son in the story, he expresses his guilt and shame, doesn't he? He comes back and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And I think just like that, just like the younger son, our guilt and shame actually just reveal a need for acceptance and ownership and affirmation, regardless of who we are and what we've done. And that is what God the Father offers us in his grace. So let's not condemn ourselves with unworthiness, but know that to God, we are the discovery of a lifetime. So we are worthy in God's eyes. 
Now, the last one, I think, is possibly the hardest. I don't know if you'll agree with this. I think in response to God's grace, he demands nothing from us except our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy his grace. He offers us freedom from religious behavior and legalism. And that is really the idea that we can earn God's grace somehow, that we need to do things in order to have his approval. And that might be good deeds or just praying more or just trying harder. But again, this story, what I love about it is it just shows that's completely wrong. We've got this older son who is really dutiful and obedient and sort of has faithfully done things. But actually, he's been working and striving just to sort of stay in his father's good books. But actually, what he doesn't realize is he's been in them all along. You know, his father just loves him. He just loves him, and he wants to just enjoy that relationship. And then the love he lavishes on his younger son is undeserved and passionate and freely given. And that's just like God's grace and love for us, isn't it? Which he displayed through Jesus dying on the cross for us. We need to stop striving for God's approval and just enjoy it. We've got it. You know, my favorite definition of grace is there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. I normally say that the other way around, but you get what I mean. Um, I think when you start going out with someone, um, I can remember this from a few years ago now, um, you kind of glow, don't you? You have that like, (sighs) does anyone else relate to that feeling? and you kind of radiate something, that is because you're known and you're loved. And you're known and you're loved anyway. And I just think if we could really seriously understand how much God loves us, we wouldn't just be glowing, we'd be lighting fires everywhere we went. But we just don't seem to be able to enjoy that often. So I'd love to challenge us tonight to relax and know that we're loved, whether that's here tonight in church, whether it's um, next week at uni and you're in a lecture, maybe you're walking around Tesco, maybe you're at work, maybe you're off on half term, wherever you are, just know that you're loved. And I think the younger son, I like to think, we don't get to hear the end of this story, but I like to think he would have changed his life in response to that reaction from his dad, the love and forgiveness that he received. And I think our response in turn to God for his grace, for the Father's grace, should be one of devotion. And I think a danger in church is that we confuse devotion with perfectionism. So let's take the pressure off ourselves to live perfect lives of discipleship and just enjoy God's presence. I think the only time we really change is when we come to God as we are and enjoy his grace. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to change if I feel like I need to meet a a sort of required moral standard of behavior. But actually, it's the experience of acceptance despite behavior that encourages me to change. When I realize I'm accepted anyway, then I want to remain in that place of love and intimacy with God and allow him to work in our lives. And this is not done out of sort of fear or feeling dutiful or anything like that. We can only really be loved into wholeness like that. So, I would love us tonight to think about embracing God as our gracious Father, just with that really basic reminder that he just loves us. He's for us and not against us. 
So let's come to him as we are, knowing that in God's eyes we're worthy, and let's really enjoy the grace that he has for us. Amen.